Hi, I'm Jacob Knight, and welcome to Secret Handshake! Welcome back to Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me as always is my boy, Martin Carlson. Martin, how are you doing? I'm good, man. And what are we getting into today? And we're here to talk about Jackass, uh, mostly because of the release of Jackass Forever. Yep. Which took the um, box office by storm, dethroning Spidey, beating the fuck out of um, Moonfall, the new Roland Emmerich. Yeah, which is actually pretty good. I saw that, too. I want to say that. I do. It's... It's uh, the traditional Emmerich nonsense that you expect from I'm in. A, a movie where uh, humanity goes to war with the moon. So, <laughs> Are there aliens on the moon? Is it like an alien? I'm not going to tell you that. Just watch it. Just know, here. here's my seal of approval for this movie. Um, the third act is just as gonzo as you want it to be. Okay, cool. Like, it just goes off the rails. It's totally out of its mind. Like, honestly... A, not to get too far off topic before we get into Jackass, uh, but, you know, the Roland Emmerich movie is the first time that I've actually had like a, oh, nature is truly healing kind of moment. Is that like, I got to go to a theater today and watch a new shitty movie in fucking January with Patrick Wilson where he goes to fucking war with the moon. And I was like, okay, yeah. Nature is healing. The theaters are back. Baby. Life is back to normal. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, I get it. Everybody wants to go to see Spidey and everybody wants to go see Scream, which, you know, whatever. One of those is good. But man, just give me my trash in January. Yes. That's all I want. Like, that's the theatrical experience I want back from COVID. The, the doldrums of January and February, the, well, the bloodshots of the world. Oh, God. I, dude, I. I, I mean, Bloodshot's a good time. That just that complete shit. Movies like Morbius that was supposed to come out, like that still kinda, hasn't come out. Yeah. I, at this point, I'm not sure it's real. Yeah, I don't think it ever was made. <laughs> I think it was all a dream that Der- Jared Leto had in the desert on like PCP. Yes, when he took that weird like harem cult that he started <sighs> and then returned. That's one of the funniest like stories of the early days of COVID. If there are any funny stories from the early days of COVID, is that that like tabloid report that Jared Leto came back from literally like a sojourn into the desert with like this weird like harem of women and was like. What's going on, guys? <laughs> <laughs> the world's in lockdown, and he's just got this flowing Jesus hair, and in his true, like, assholey way, is just like, oh man, I totally missed this. This is crazy. It's like a really, like a really, like douchey Ed Hardy version of Twilight Zone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like marching out of the desert. <laughs> but um, Martin, I, my relationship to Jackass is going to be pretty lengthy, but I kind of wanted to ask you about it because this is my suggestion and I kind of figured out as we were going along that you don't love jackass as much as I do. Yeah. It's um, I don't dislike it at all. Um, but if we're definitely comparing our loves and also it being part of our lives, like it's been so little part of my life. Right. Um, I think part of that was, you know, it came out, um, the show started in the 2000, right? 2000. Um, yeah. Yep. So, so I was a sophomore in, in high school and 
I have a very similar relationship to Jackass that I do to South Park and that all the people I didn't like in school liked those things. And so like middle school was all the, all just the buttheads who were like, Oh my God, just quoting Cartman all the time. And, and all through high school, I wasn't until I was like, in my mid twenties, I realized I love South Park and went back and watched everything. You could get over your trauma and be like, I can finally admit <laughs> that South Park is funny. And it's great. And I feel the same like jackass. I really kind of, I slept on it for a long time just because I, again, it's reminded me of certain kids from my school. Um, and frankly, sure. and I was like, I don't want to be associated with this at all. But then I saw, I saw the first movie in the theater with my brother and my friend, Sarah from college. It was, uh, it was at the cheap theater. So it was, it came out, like, I think in the fall. And it was in, um, by December, it was in like the cheap theater, I believe. Yeah, um, because it came out during my first semester in college. Yes, my, mine too. It's both of us, yeah. Um, and we went, we were in Dayton and saw it. And like, I, I almost pissed my pants laughing. I almost fell like, you know, out of my chair. Um, a, a reason I think I've also kind of stayed away um, are the scenes of, of awkward, like real, like, Fucking with real people. Um, All the candid camera stuff. Candid camera stuff. Just, I hate getting yelled at by strangers. So like, that's just like (laughs) pinpoints my anxiety or is getting in awkward situations at like stores and things like that. And like all those scenes, like yeah, shitting in the hardware store um, or I'm trying to think of some other example. Like all of the, the, um, Irving Zisman stuff. All the Zisman stuff. Where he's taking like his quote unquote grandson out and letting him smoke and like look at titty mags. And then they're almost getting into a fight with like two dudes who get fucking offended by it at the, like the hot dog stand. Very much that. And it was a similar reason that like I've seen Bruno, I've seen Bruno, so I've seen Bruno, I've seen both Borats and that, that as well, that I have to like cover my eyes. And like you, you asked my family, we would watch even awkward situations um, on any kind of reality TV, I don't like reality TV at all. Is I would cover my eyes just for like those kind of situations. So I think like it just I had stayed away. Um, but this has been an education because I watched I rewatched the first one, which I hadn't seen in twenty fucking years, um, nineteen years, um, and then I watched two, three, and then saw Forever a couple days ago in the theater. I watched twenty two of the original twenty five episodes that aired on MTV. I watched all four movies. And I watched uh, Dumb, The History of Big Brother Magazine, which is a documentary made about the magazine that more or less gave birth to Jackass. Um, So I did a lot of preparation for this because I'm the opposite of you in terms of how this movie uh, played a role in my life because I'm from uh, Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm from where Bam Margera is from. And I sent you an article not too long ago that my brother wrote for yeah, Mel great. Magazine that's all about growing up in Westchester and how Bam was like, he was this weird kind of beacon of hope for a bunch of really bored suburban white kids who did nothing but like go to the local skate shop, which was Fairman's, buy the CKY videos that he was putting out, which it were more or less like a... a uh, collector's item or like an underground kind of secret handshake uh, with kids and like high school and stuff is that if you knew somebody who had the CKY video or shit, something, or like you hung out with something like usually it was like a big brother, or, uh, somebody's cousin or somebody always older, like got the video for them and like 
you would go over their house and hang out and like maybe get like a few cigarettes from that older brother or whatever, and then watch the video and laugh and then go out and try to do, you know, wax up the curb and do grinds on that and whatever. Try to ollie over a fucking like recycling bin that you got out of your (laughs) parents' garage. Like this was a, a big thing in our lives. Like even before we knew what CKY was because uh, Westchester, Pennsylvania, you know, Casey goes kind of hard on it in terms of how boring it is. And it is a pretty boring town. Like it, it, uh, is a small town population of about 20,000 has a college in it, but like the college town vibe of it is very much in this like couple block radius. Yeah. Uh, downtown where, uh, Bam actually had a rock club called the note, but like growing up, you kind of did a couple different things is that you either played sports, you skated, or you went to punk shows. In my case, I did all three. <laughs> um, because locally there was a huge like underground punk scene that went around with the skater scene, which was dominated by like a small label called creep records, which produced a lot of local bands. One band called like plow United who actually had a few releases and stuff. When we went to, uh, Phoenixville for the Exune Films uh, marathon. Remember the record store yeah. that I was showing you that is now a fucking Pilates studio? And I told you that we used to hang out on Bridge Street all the time. That was Creep Records. Like, oh, that wow. That was one of their storefronts. That's cool. But they would put on shows that were more or less like band showcases. And a lot of the times there would be kids from your high school that were in the bands or like their older brothers or something. And you would go and it would be like, there was one showcase at Phoenixville high school, like not far from the uh, colonial theater where we went to the exhumed show. Um, you would go to like church basements. You would go anywhere. They could put it on rec halls, stuff like that. So like for me, even before jackass, like these were just the kids that I knew. Everybody I knew had Bam Margera and Ryan Dunn's like dopey ass, like oh yeah, dude, like kind of accent. And like you, you saw these videos a million times. You heard the urban legend that like the first five hundred copies, which according to Casey is true, the first five hundred copies of the original CKY video had a sex tape with Bam at the end of it. Yeah, exactly. Like this was just a weird thing that an entire kind of. Uh, lore was built around in Westchester. So when he made it, when that first uh, season of Jackass was transmitted on MTV, like you saw CKY, you saw like the West Goshen parking lot, like where they're uh, Bam and Brandon DiCamillo are dumping each other out of shopping carts. Like that was one of the first movie theaters in there that I ever went to, you know, through college and stuff. When I got, a job as a projectionist, Bam would go to that theater. He would park that purple Lamborghini of his in like the very back of the lot, take his girlfriend and like, you would see him there. But like every time he showed up, like you would, it would just be like, ah, it would be like a whole thing. You know, it's almost like a fucking like magic Johnson showed up, (laughs) you know, the, the movies in Fraser, Pennsylvania. It was just crazy. But like seeing him succeed, it was kind of like the nerd, like almost like Nirvana, where there was that old mantra that after Nirvana like hit it big, that everybody could have a band if they wanted to. You could just start it in your friend's garage. Well, Bam really was that. It was that kid from down the block who actually got famous. And you were like, he got famous for just being a fucking dirtbag. 
And like, I can do that, right? No, you can't because not everybody can do jackass. It's interesting. Um, you had mentioned to me how jackass is definitely this like precursor to like modern TikTok culture and, and YouTube culture as well. But I'm also just thinking of it was right before the boom of reality TV, period. Because I was, it was around that time. I remember when like Survivor and like even like the second one, Temptation Island, when we were in high school. Like that was the one that kind of broke through it, you know, was also the idea of you can get famous for being kind of a piece of shit in a different way. Like this is a different vibe, but it's still that kind of different ways to be famous um, for our generation. You know, when this fourth movie has come out and we've now had three films, the, this whole series has lasted 20 plus years, way longer than even its creators ever thought it could possibly last. But like there have been a million opportunities and a million opportunities capitalized on, and I'm sure we'll go into it ourselves as well, to intellectualize Jackass, to try and be like, oh, it's about modern masculinity on, on the big screen or like the camaraderie of men or uh, a kind of like outsider ethos that that uh, transcended like screen comedy or, you know, you, you've read all those takes a million yeah. times before. But what gets lost when they're intellectualizing stuff is that this was all an extension of one particular thing. And that was skate culture because Jeff Tremaine was the editor in chief of Big Brother magazine. Big Brother magazine was the invention of a skateboard magnet named Steve Rocco, who like in the late 80s, early 90s, had built more or less this empire for himself called World Industries. And he was known for like running very, very provocative, fucked up ads that like trying to get a rise out of you. And so he came up with an ad that was a skateboard trick and it showed it in the frames that you capture it. And it just showed one young skater failing over and over and over again. And on the next page, it's him putting a giant Magnum revolver to his head. And it says world industries kill yourself instead. And Trans World and Thrasher Magazine, which were like the big magazines at the time for skaters, refused to run it. They're like, no, fuck you. Like, this is too crazy. We can't get away with this. Because those two magazines were, were very, let's say, soft versions of what skating was. Like in that uh, documentary I mentioned earlier, Dumb, they interview a ton of like professional skaters on top of like, Knoxville and Margera and uh, all the jackass guys were associated with it as, as well as Tremaine. But they talk about how like Thrasher was the harder edged one, but even that was kind of boring because it was like it had it kind of come up with a formula for itself to where it's like, here's a trick page. Here's an ad for shoes. Here's an interview with a hot upcoming skater. Here's a Tony Hawk thing. Here's three more ads. And it was just like, you got the same thing with every issue. Like codified. And then, yeah. Exactly. And then trans world was almost like the highlights for children for the skateboarding <laughs> world. But no, seriously, because it was the one that pre pre like presented skateboarding in this very poppy, uh, neon colored kind of uh, candy coated way that mom could like digest let's say like if your kid brought it home to to your wife you know she would be like oh skateboarding's just like a cool activity that billy's into and he'll be into rollerblading in a year or whatever you not know? so much a gun to their head, head. Yeah, exactly yeah so 
<laughs> Steve Rocco was like, oh, okay, you're not going to run my ad? Cool. I'll never run another ad in your fucking magazines again, and I'm going to start my own magazine. And he started Big Brother, and he hired Jeff Tremaine, who was like a kid still, to edit it. And he, in turn, uh, hired, like, Spike Jones was working for Steve Rocco at the time. Um, Rick Kosick was, became, like, not just the one of the magazine's, like, main photographers, but, like, he was a character in the magazine. Like, they would just have whole narratives that just followed Rick Kosick on, like, weird adventures and shit. And then they would, f- like, feature all these fucking weirdos from, like, around the nation. Like, Steve-O was just some, like, crazy dude who lit his own head on fire in New Mexico. <laughs> Pontius was one who got in, like, a whole lot of backlash because, like, they did this really weird interview where he kind of just acted like an idiot. He would write articles for Big Brother after this that were titled stuff like 18 Ways to Be an Asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like, stuff like that. But he got in a lot of trouble because, like, he was barely 18. He claims to maybe be under 18 when this photo shoot was done. But he did a full naked spread doing the whirly bird with his dick at, like, 17, 18 years old. And, like, a bunch of skaters were like, what is this? This is mad gay, dude. But to them, it was like there was no sexuality to it. It was just a way to, like, basically rub it in your face. It was all that kind of, like, punk rock attitude. But, like, Tremaine basically used Big Brother to harness, like, a particular energy because that became the defining... Uh, kind of ethos of Big Brother is that like skating was just a thing that they did and then they would write articles about like you know partying they would have tricks in it they got in a lot of trouble like uh and caused like a national stir after Larry Flint uh bought the publication from Rocco and then they started running articles like they did a parody of uh skating mags that got them in a lot of trouble because a lot of skating mags were doing Articles that were basically like, you know, how to kickflip, how to ollie, how to do this. They wrote an article called How to Kill Yourself. And then gave, yeah, and gave you a step-by-step, like, method. And then gauged, like, the effectiveness of different ways. Like, if you hang yourself, do it this way. If you cut your wrists, make sure to go, you know, Length. vertically. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. And they got in a ton of trouble, like, Makes national sense. media attention and stuff. And it's funny because even in, like... The interviews and stuff, Spike Jones is in that dumb documentary going like, you know, man, like uh, at the time we thought it was funny, but then people were like, why would you ever write that article? And he, th- you sit there and you go, yeah, why would we do that? I don't fucking know. But it was just, it was all a provocation. It was all the way to basically like poke you in the ribs the entire time and give this community something new and something invigorating when like all the kind of stalwart publications had gone stale, you know? And then Tremaine used it as more or less like a, a training ground or like a, a recruitment vehicle to bring on guys like that's how he found Knoxville because Johnny Knoxville had this uh, basically like comedic article he wanted to write where he used... <laughs> like a stun gun and riot like pepper spray and then eventually like riot bullets on himself with a bulletproof vest. And then he wanted to write about it. Well, at the time, Big Brother had done a couple skate videos along the lines of uh, CKY that like Spike Jones had shot for them. And Tremaine was like, when he pitched it to Big Brother, Tremaine was, Tremaine was like, okay, cool. Like 
you can write it, but we need to film this too. And that's how Jack, like the original idea mm. of Jackass was born was that with Johnny Knoxville pepper spraying himself and then getting shot with a bulletproof vest. So, and then they sold it. And he said, I sold the article for like 50 cents a word or something to big brother, but they also filmed it. And the, but the filming became part of the sizzle reel that they used to later pitch to, cause they originally pitched, pitched Jackass to HBO. And apparently it went like, legendarily awful like it offended everybody in the room or whatever because it took a couple years but after spike jones made being john malkovich like spike became the person who would go in and lead these pitch meetings oh wow and be like i want to do this and they said they took it to mtv and mtv just fucking lost their minds and that's how jackass was born but it all came from this one skateboarding community and magazine because like without that and without that spirit and without that kind of DIY drive, like you would never have jackass. That's super. And I didn't, I didn't know a lot of that history. And I think it's really interesting because you said that skating was just one thing they did, you know, there right. was this culture of the types of people that were attracted, you know, by that. And I think it is interesting too, that even though I did find, uh, not a lot in Jackass when it was first on to be attracted to. So again, it's the people that I was unattracted to at my school. I don't want to be associated. Sure. Watching it now, I also it so connects with like my prolonged adolescence, my brothers as well. Like we're still we still fuck with fireworks today. We blow shit up. Like all of that kind of mentality, I can definitely connect to more. You oh, know? Oh, I can mark my entire life in Jackass. <laughs> like high school is CKY videos. The Big Brother videos, which you can still find because there's, I believe, three of the original run. But they were very similar, too, in that, like, you would have skating stuff, but even a lot of the skating stuff was just people eating shit, you know? That was the attraction to it is that they were like, we just want to watch people bust their ass the entire time. But for me, that's high school. And then I took my first girlfriend in college and my first semester in college to the Jackass movie. And the Jackass movie is kind of like... If you're a dude in college and especially if you're in a fraternity and you got hazed the entire time, like Jackass probably influenced a lot of that fucking hazing. Like you got your ass whipped in various ways that you then saw on TV. But like Jackass 2, because Jackass 2 is 2006, mm -hmm. right? So that's the year I graduate from college. And that's the dark one I think we'll get to too, because like Jackass... Uh, number two is the one that feels like everybody's way too fucked up. Somebody might die at any moment. And like after this, some people are probably going to rehab, especially in Steve-O's case. Yes. But like Jackass 2 for me was like that post-college, like I'm going to go get fucked up and go out into the world and just figure shit out. And you're going to fail a whole lot. So like, <laughs> and then we'll get to it more in depth when we get to Jackass 3D. But for me, that's the middle age. I'm growing up jackass. Like there's an undercurrent of sadness that kind of runs under that movie. It's unintentional at no, like at no point did they ever think like, we're going to make the real artsy jackass that makes you think about your life. The toy like, story three of, the, exactly, <laughs> yeah. of jackass. Like some of that's going to be, and there is some of that in there, especially with like the end credits of jackass 3d where they're going back to the originals and doing that redo of, if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough again. But like, it's weird watching that. I watched that yesterday 
And it, it's sad to watch it now after four with all of the, well, first off with Dunn dies. Dunn dies literally the year after Jackass 3D. Yeah. So, so 2011, like, right? Yeah. yeah. And like that itself is a shadow that's just kind of cast over that entire group for the rest of their existence. But then now that we have Jackass 4 and Bam and even Phil and April you know, aren't in it either. And they're, they kind of, in a weird way, become the beating heart of Jackass. Like they're the ones who really root, especially the Bam stuff. Because I'm sure we'll get into how different the Bam stuff is from like the Johnny Knoxville shit, particularly even in like the original episodes. But like... Phil and April become like this crazy beating heart of like, they're just good parents who are like, our kid's a fucking idiot, but we love him. And like, in turn, he takes care of them. Like he loves them like to death, you know, but like three, you know, you, you get the, the sense that like, this is the last party in like your dumbass friend's basement before you all go off and grow up, get sober or die, frankly. And, like, because at this point, like, a lot of the series that they've been on... Because there's a ton of Jackass series that came out of the original Jackass. Like, Knoxville basically quit the original series because MTV became, like, S&P, like, hawks, more or less. And we're like, you can't do that. You can't do that. They even, like, assigned an OSHA representative to them at one point <laughs> to, to oversee, like, the stunts they were doing. And Knoxville's like, well, we can't... I can't operate this way. And we're just going to lose what's special. So I fucking quit. And that's where the movies end up coming from is because they're like, well, you're under contracts. We need to keep doing this. So how do we do this and let you still basically perform the way you want to perform? But three is like the weird one to where like all this stuff has come out of these movies. Like Steve-O like gets hardcore, like addicted to drugs and goes to rehab and stuff and is sober by the time like three comes out. Uh, he and Pontius have already done a spinoff called Wild Boys. That I used to watch come that. And, gone. and that one's a lot of fun. Like it has one. a totally different energy than like the original Jackass. They got a great vibe together. Oh yeah, well, there's always pairs in the in the series. Yeah, and then Johnny. It's like him. You know, it's Pontius and uh, Steve O, and then you have Dave England and Danger Aaron are my favorite personal like duo. Bam and Bam Ryan. And Ryan Dunn. We Man friend. and Preston. We Man and Preston. Knoxville's just kind of the the ringleader yep. who who keeps them all together. You know, he's the ringmaster of this crazy circus. But like three to try and finish this very belabored point uh is that like you know at the end of this like Wild Boys is come and gone. Uh Bam is on like his third reality show or something at this point. Like, including one that was, like, more or less, like, his version of, like, I'm getting married. It was, like, a Bravo TV show, but just done Bam style. Totally off. What was the name of that? His Infernal, or Bam's Unholy Matrimony. Oh, God. Or something. It's, it's not great. But you had Viva La Bam, which was very much, like, just the Westchester Bam stuff and became... Phil and April. Kind of and... like, yeah. It, but that had, like, a narrative and was, like, a weird, like, reality TV thing. My point is with three, three is the one to where it almost feels like they're like, all right, we're going to get the gang back together and this is going to be it. Like that's, we're going to have fun. We're going to send it off into the sunset and it's just going to be over. So like that kind of makes it a little sad in a weird way, but let's jump all the way back to one and go into like, what makes this so special? 
this rewatching this, um, I, I was brought back to the theater seeing it again almost 20 years ago. Um, and I think again, starting with one and going in order and then finishing, I watched them all in order and going in to four. While this wasn't as part of my life as it obviously was for you, that this whole series reminds me of my, my brother. This, I think of my brother the whole time because it's like this deals with a relationship. If you have a good relationship with your brother and you were close enough in age to do fucking stupid shit together, this is that. And so the whole time I watched, I thought of my brother like the entire time of the, the stuff we would get into as kids. And I think like starting, you know, it just starts off with the rent a car crash up derby is just a good mix of the, the stuff that embarrasses me, the candid camera with some stunt shit. You get the kind of get the best of both worlds, and obviously, it also feels like compared to what I've seen on the show, more expensive. Is, you know, yeah, you can tell they're like, "Hey, this is the movie." To bring it back to the standards and practices and like OSHA stuff is that like so they people started complaining about Jackass. Like Jackass aired, and that's where like even that warning before it comes yeah. from. That's now like an infamous kind of joke, more or less. But like Joe Lieberman was leading, like, you know, congressional hearings and shit into <laughs> Jackass and being like, is this poisonous to our youth? And, like, people were actually protesting, wanting MTV to pull it from the air. And MTV, the executives at the same time, are getting nervous about the original Jackass because they're like, well, what if somebody fucking dies? Like, what do we do then? To where, apparently, like, again, Knoxville quit and he quit via like his local paper in Tennessee <laughs> and MTV found out about it and was like fucking furious. And an executive at MTV, like they were like, well, you're still under contract. We'll fucking sue you like all this shit. And like, um, then a, a executive at MTV goes, well, hold on. What if we did it as a movie? And then like, it can be R-rated. People have to buy a ticket. They're basically making the choice to go see it. You know, the insurance we can cover a lot easier than we can on like a TV show. Because I was reading, there's an oral history that came out in the Hollywood Reporter today of Jackass. I put it on our Twitter feed. Is that they talk about how Paramount didn't bankroll the original uh, jackass film they did it through like basically a dummy corporation <laughs> so their their name couldn't be on it and then after the movie was finished did it more or less as like a we bought jackass we bought the movie we didn't fund it because they wouldn't get insurance like for the entire film like nobody would insure the movie so they had to insure the film by bit so, like, each bit had a different price tag on it for, like, how much it would oh. cost for them to do it. Well, it's almost it's almost like stunt waivers. Or yeah, exactly. Like we, like we watched in Hooper, where it's like, this is what you get paid, because right. this is the chance of you dying. Exactly. You know? And But that's how, like, the original Jackass was more or less produced, and then Paramount puts it out, and it's a huge hit. It makes, like, almost $90 million at the box office and costs nothing at all. But, like... To your point, yeah, the first one does feel bigger to a certain degree, and it is doing a ton of callbacks to the series. It is, but it's the one that feels the most like the show. Like it feels mm. like an episode of the TV show just stretched out to 90 minutes. But we just published an article uh, on our main website uh, by Anya Stanley, and she made an observation about Jackass because she goes into how it allows us to reckon with like 
mortality and things and like how a certain generation kind of grew up with these movies. But she made a comparison and it was something that I hadn't thought about before is that like we're an entire generation that has seen stuff like Faces of Death. Yes. And gone to Rotten.com and like sought this shit out because before the internet, like you had to know where to get this nonsense, like this kind of really fucked up sort of material and use it as like a test to yourself. So like cinematically, the Jackass movies are almost in league with like the Mondo filmmaking of like the documentaries of like the Italians in the sixties and stuff like the Mondo Kane stuff. Um, to a lesser degree, Farewell Uncle Tom. We'll call Bad Grandpa the Farewell Uncle Tom <laughs> of the, the Jackass franchise. But like, you know, uh, Dio Africa, stuff like that, to where it's all leering at this subculture and used more or less to shock you the entire time. Like, everything that's happening on it is to like push the audience's buttons and like the way the cameras are even like set up are for like maximum impact. Like, when when Johnny Knoxville gets run over by a fucking bull, we're going to watch it in like what how many frames per second so that we we can see it like as slow as a peck and paw movie when he lands on his fucking head. I think it's that's a point to make though too is you look at the first film and the stuff they're working with, even like the the technology they're working with, is pretty lo-fi. You yeah. know, and you get to like 3 and they have like those phantom cams like the scene the op- of the slow-mo opening or the closing with the paintballs. And yeah. they were kind of like going into like the, the whole like, wow, let's see what this looks like in ultra slow-mo. And everything just looks a lot better, <laughs> you know, and you could see it better. Especially again by forever. Like that scene you're talking about of him getting just rocked by that fucking bull. And it's that like 10,000 frames per second. The one where he second. got like the brain hemorrhage and basically is like, this ended my career as a, in Jackass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it... Taking it back to the skateboarding magazine again, Big Brother was the first publication that ever like slowed the frames down and like mm. uh, showed like a trick, like a, let's say like a uh, a kickflip. But they would show it panel by panel by panel. They would uh, turn the frame rate down so that you could see each one and print it out. They were the first publication to actually do that, or at least take claim to be the first publication to actually do that. This that's in league in jackass with what they were even doing in print because it's almost like here's this insane fucking thing now let's slow us slow it down for you so that you can see every little single detail frame by frame which i think is a pretty fascinating translation of like one medium to another yeah it's almost like the edwin moybridge of Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, That's a very highbrow way of putting what I just said. <laughs> I, I do not know where I got Moybridge from. I was like way film history in the back of my head. But I mean, even the show, like the original first couple episodes of the series, um, I think it's crazy because there is kind of two different energies to Knoxville and then BAM because you get, they're filmed even totally differently. Like the BAM segments in uh, the first couple jackass episodes, like they feel like the CKY videos, like Knoxville kind of feels like this goofy clown who's on the West coast. And then we're introduced to guys like Steve-O and Pontius as like party boy. And then Dave England doing gross, like throw up stuff or whatever. But like, they all kind of get their, their own little like personalities when they're, they're first introduced in the series. But Knoxville 
has this sort of like sadistic clown thing about himself. It's all about like doing these playful stunts that end up causing him massive amounts of fucking pain. Like the cup and even something as simple as like the cup test to where he just lines up a bunch of children to kick him in the balls while he's wearing a sports cup. Like that's what he does. Where like Bam's like his stuff almost feels like beamed in from another dimension. Cause it's like a little weirder. It's a little angrier. It's a little angstier, but also like it's even more lo-fi than the Johnny Knoxville stuff because it's just him and like Brandon D Camillo and Chris Rab, uh, Raycon and them like, you know, hanging Chris Rab from the fucking tree. Like even the, in the movie with like the, the super wedgie or whatever they call it, yep. where they hang Chris Rab from the tree and he like goes upside down and he, they find blood and shit. But that feels like it's just filmed with like a camera in Bam's backyard, which is how his segments in the original Jackass stuff really feel like where he's dumping, you know, he and Brandon are like dumping each other into snow banks, you know, out of shopping carts in like a parking lot. Like, it's crazy to me. Like, Bam's the weird gremlin to Knoxville's, like, you know, kind of big top showmaster. You know, he definitely is the, like, like you said earlier, the ringleader. I can just, you know, the image of him with a top hat and, like, kind of orchestrating everything. But he, I think it's also worth noting that Knoxville is, like, the most handsome of the group. He's the most ripped. Like, he had, they tried to give him more of a, a, a movie star experience after. Well, he was trying to break into he, the, to he was. L.A. And, and Hollywood, like, when Jackass became big. Like, he was living, I found an early, like, Rolling Stone profile is that, like, he was living with his girlfriend at the time. There's some weird conflict as history has gone along. Like, in the early Rolling Stone profile, they call her his wife. Later in the oral history that came out today, she was just a girlfriend who got pregnant and he panicked, which I found to be a weird detail that was changed. But, like, his first kid, Madison's on the way. Um, He needs to figure out a way. Like, he's trying to do commercials and landing, like, a couple gigs here and there. But, like the fucking big brother article was almost out of sheer desperation of like, I got to figure out something to do or like, I'm going to be broke and you know, just old and nobody's going to know me. But yeah, Knoxville, like he feels, he feels older. He feels, well, he is, he's 10 years older than Bam. There you go. Yeah. Um, Knoxville, because they tried to make Knoxville into a legit star when that Rolling Stone article comes out. Like they even point out that like, he's been in big trouble at this point that he's not in it yet, but like, you know, he's in the Dukes of Hazard with Sean William Scott at one point. He's in Last Stand with uh, Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. Uh, he has a very high profile uh, romance. I think he even breaks up her marriage with Jessica Simpson. Yep. Um, which, again, is another weird thing that kind of plays into Jackass 3D be- being kind of sad for me is that, like, it feels like Knoxville at the end of his career and recognizing, like, ah, like, I got to go back to this. This well is what I got. Nothing else has really worked out because they did. They tried to make him a thing. And he even did his own thing because, I mean, like Dick House is Tremaine's production company. But like he and Tremaine produced like Being Evil, the Evil Can Evil documentary together. He, I was told, he helped uh, produce this very strange movie called The Wild Whites of West Virginia. Yeah. If you've ever seen it, it's a really funny interesting doc. Um, but I was told this story by a buddy of ours that <laughs> there was a buyer screening for this movie when he was, he had produced it with Tremaine and they were trying to get it sold. And 
he brought his kind of three ring circus mentality to uh, this buyer screening by filling the audience, the theater with like midgets basically. And they were running down the aisle and like screaming and hooting and hollering and fighting with each other. It was like almost like a, a wee man sketch the entire time. But like, he tried to do all this stuff and they really did try to make him a thing. Like Bam was never going to be a fucking movie star. Bam, again, he was the dirt bag from Westchester. That was yeah. weird. Out of the two of them, I actually think Dunn is like the more handsome, charismatic. At least uh, he seems like way more personable. Like you, could, like I could imagine going out and hanging out with Ryan Dunn and having a beer. Bam would probably annoy me after a minute. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like once... Um, that Dunn and like Aaron kind of live in similar areas. What the kind of things that are done to them in the movies, at least. Um, they're the pin cushions. They're the, they're the the ones who take the most abuse. Is it? I think it's the first one where he fights the uh, Japanese kickboxer, the female. Oh yeah, Ryan. Oh, and he gets the. It, I think it's just called ass kicked by a girl. Yeah, yeah. It was like that one was insane, and then you have you know, kind of like the mirror to that is um. What's the name of the I've written down here? Department store boxing with Butterbean. Oh my god. What it, a great it, fucking stunt. That's two though, right? That is No, it's one. Is that one? It's one. And it's just This is what happens when you watch these movies in such close proximity. Well, and I, I for I wrote and I wrote all every stunt down for us just so I wouldn't get a mix because they really do kind of run together. Thank God you're organized. <sighs> one organizational thing I did today. So um <laughs> that's it. But I think what's what's interesting is there's there's moments where you watch all the films and and <laughs> you, like you said Johnny's like this maniacal like ringleader who's really fucking with his friends you know like oh he's he's an antagonist like one of the the best moments in all of the series and it pops up again and again is how pissed off the fucking cameramen get. Oh man. Especially at him because like he'll torture them too. And they're like, dude, we, we didn't fucking sign up for this. Like we just want to film you. Was it, I think it was with part four and the, they were doing a bunch of like old footage after. Right. And it's one of the cameramen that Jeff put the shot collar on and goes, no, this is a new kind of microphone. Oh, that's Rick Cossack. Yeah. And he was like, punching Jeff and he's like, who wants it next? Like seriously, he's going to beat someone oh, no, he, up. He punches uh, Spike Jones in it. Like yeah. he's beating the shit out of oh, Spike, Spike Jones. Jones. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, and, and I think that's, what's kind of interesting about all these films though, is it really does toe the line between we're having fun and like pure anger. And like there's, there's times you see like Aaron, for instance, especially like in three and four, they really do shit to him. We're, a, he's terrified. Like he's shaking. Like the, like I think it's three when he's gonna get hit. Um, the they's putting pin and tail on the, on the donkey, and it's like oh, you, you see, see his he, legs he's, shaking, and they're like and like bams in the back, and they're just like joking, but it's like he's absolutely terrified. And there's these moments of like them saying, "I don't want to just like almost like I don't want to do that." Like, there's this I think you know the scene for me from two that we talk about. And not to jump ahead. Well, let's get into two. Okay, let's just so jump right into it. So I'm going to talk about a scene from one. Two to for me is the masterpiece. Like this is the one, but it's also the one that's so dark and kind of extreme. Because like even uh, the Miller Brewing Company is like sponsoring it. Like there's booze all over this film. 
Very much. And so there's a scene in one that, that ties to two. Uh, it's the riot gun in one, <laughs> and then it's the it's the riot claymore. The fucking claymore mine. <laughs> so I texted you when they were getting ready to do it. I hadn't even watched the scene yet. I was watching two for the first time like this week, and I said, oh, dude, like, because I think it was it was Dave, and Dave doesn't do it. Because he's in there and goes, nope. Yeah, and no, he, he, he turns he, right around. And he's straight up just like, I'm not doing that. And not in a like for the cameras way. He's like, there's no fucking way. Bam 2's like, he watches it. And so it was Bam, Ryan, and and Johnny. There's Bam, Ryan, Johnny, and then Dave England. And Dave England is the one who has that face. Because Dave England has, they all have very specific pain and panic faces. England's is the one that looks like he's going to cry. Like break down into tears. Like his one eye just keeps like wincing the entire time he almost looks like a pirate but like you can tell like he's dying inside yeah and aaron has a similar one where he's like his eyes go in the back of his head when he's like really hurting but that scene was it was something you mentioned to me but i think that was the scene where i saw it so hard for the first time you see it with johnny in the first in the first one where he's gonna do the you know like he's, he's got the um bulletproof vest for his abdomen and then bulletproof and like bulletproof stuff over his, his like his dick and like everything else. So just this little area, this, this marksman, it's, it's, it's it's a, it's a beanbag. It's all building off of the original riot test article that he wrote, because that's, that's the prototype, which is the article that he wrote for big brother. And then in one, it's the one where it's almost like a firing squad. He puts the fucking, um, vest on like, (laughs) You know, and he looks horrified, like he might die because of this. Because even like, it's one of my favorite lines in uh, the first movie is that Johnny Knoxville looks at the weapons expert and goes, "Well, this is non-lethal, right? This is non-lethal ammunition." And the guy looks in and goes, "Well, less, less lethal." And Johnny's face is like, "Oh fuck!" And not <laughs> and and again, not in a planned funny because Johnny's no. so charming and he can be disarming. But in that moment, he's like. What have I gotten myself in? I should probably not do this. Like yeah. you see the moment and the you claymore s- mine is the ultimate extension of that of like, Oh my God, no, we can't do this. Like we might die. It, I felt that way. And it almost, but again, it, there you go first, but there's a moment in this too, that kind of defines the entire series for me. Okay. So I was going to say that, you know, we, you, you mentioned earlier how there are ways to just intellectualize and, and go down some rabbit holes. But even though it's not what they're going for, it doesn't mean it doesn't still have that effect and have these really inter- right. interesting cinematic qualities. You know, Hitchcock always said the bomb, the bomb exploding is not the cool thing. It's the expectation of the bomb exploding. No, it's going to explode. Right. Like, it's the buildup. Some of the best parts in these films, I think especially that this one specifically and in one with the, the riot gun is just like. Well, there's one in three, too, that I want to bring up when we get there that has it. But it's all about the buildup and the aftermath. Yes. It's the same, but again, it's the same it's as a, it's skate videos mm. in that the skate videos are all about you watch the guy go up the ramp and in your head you're going, Is man, gonna do it? it's going to look real fucking cool if he lands. However, if he eats shit, it's also going to look real fucking cool. Probably but, cooler. But you're, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like there are moments where like, and it in the new one, when we get to that, um, there's a moment with Johnny uh, during one, a real early stunt where they do the human ramp. 
And oh, I like, loved it. It's the first stunt. But he gets mad that somebody lands. He goes, oh, it'll look better if he didn't make it. Then, like, But that's what they're looking for. But that's the thing that I, I was going to say that is kind of one of the defining moments of the entire series is with the Claymore mine is that Bam loses it and goes outside and goes, we can't fucking do this. And Ryan's just sitting out there literally already lit a cigarette and is like, ah, yeah, I don't know. But you hear Johnny in the background go, but think of the footage. And that's it. That's all this is about. I saw somebody recently make the astute... I threw this on Letterboxd, too, and I feel bad for whoever said this because this is not my thought. But the Twitter thread has since been deleted. But they made the very astute observation of Jackass is the franchise where all of the action happens on screen and all of the character development happens off screen. That's so good. And it's... It's brilliant to me because you get so invested with these guys, kind of in the same way that you talk about with like TikTok and influencers and shit like that. Is that like that's all about giving you a window into these people's worlds and you get caught up in their mundane drama and everything. And that's more or less what happened with the Jackass crew. Like we got into Johnny Knoxville's, you know, celebrity romance. We got into Bam's, you know, uh, failed. Uh, marriages let's say and like his relationship like his relationship to his parents was one of the best parts of that early show they're both working people phil was a fucking baker who got up why he had to get up every morning is he went to the local acme and he baked the pies there that's so cool i love Phil so much i can't remember what april was I, i feel like a nurse or maybe like an office assistant or something but they they were working parents and they poured all of their money that they made into Bam's skateboarding career because that was what they were doing. Like Bam was into skateboarding and Jess, his brother was the drummer for CKY, the band. And that's where a lot of that uh, early music came for, for the CKY videos, because it was all about camp kill yourself. Like, the one brother provided the music, the other one provided the footage, and boom, you had this Big Brother-esque kind of video series, but was like the East Coast equivalent to Big Brother's nonsense out there. Because Bam even talks about being obsessed with Big Brother and being like, it had the spirit of what I wanted to do too. Like, I just wanted to be a fucking asshole skater in the streets and like not let anybody tell me no the entire time. What was the, what's the bit, what, what? It's one of the times they're fucking with Phil in April, and like everyone's running out of the house, and Phil sits down to take a shit. And they come back in. Oh, the gorilla! The gorilla, the gorilla in three, where they're in the hotel room. And, and like, it's one of the best fucking. They're like, where, she's like where's my husband? He's because isn't it Pontius in the gorilla suit? And then they have uh, it's the musician and the one from all the the Kelly Reichert movies, uh, Wild Oldham. <laughs> It is and, is the animal trainer and from Matt Matawan. He's yeah, the kid from, from Matawan, Matawan yeah. and from Old Joy. Yeah, and, he's amazing. And, and Bonnie Prince Billy, yeah. all the albums and stuff. I didn't know he was in this, and I was like, oh shit, because I love his shit. He's awesome. And he just shows up, and he's like, this animal trainer Pontius is like tearing this hotel room apart. Fucking <laughs> Phil and April are losing their minds. April runs out screaming because this one's like an extension of the alligator in the house yes, gag yeah. from the first Jackass movie. But then they can't figure out where Phil is, and they go back, and Phil's like, yo, all this crazy shit was happening, so I just had to take a shit. And Bam's like, did the gorilla literally scare the shit out of you? And Phil's like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, and that's there's something that you mentioned earlier, and it, it making thinking about Phil in April makes me think of this, this vibe that one of the things I ended up really liking about these films 
and just the kind of atmosphere is there is still a really good, a good naturedness to a lot of it that um, you see in the trailer for four, but you know, but it's also in the film I really like is where Zach does this crazy stunt and, and, and basically one of them compliments him. He's like, I love you, man. And he like means it. It's this like, Oh, one, it's him and poopies. Him and poopies. And it's just the guy's like, hey, that was fucking awesome, man. And it was just this like, again, that you, the, the rabbit holes but of, of male camaraderie in these way that these guys really kind of like, well, look, it's not the, the, wrong yeah, to the, intellectualize these things. Yeah. Like it's all fucking there. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, you can make like one of the most touching, like I get choked up at some of the, these movies in a weird way because it's just like, one of the better documents about male friendship ever made because some of the more, like we were talking about how, again, in the big brother fashion, like the stunt is just a thing that happens and it's funny and it's thrilling, but the buildup and the crash are really the thing that you're looking for. And like the gags in between and stuff and Johnny losing it and laughing, Johnny losing it and laughing. But one of the things that I find incredibly touching is how concerned they are when somebody goes down and like there are specific guys who get really scared over certain things. Like when they show but anytime Johnny Knoxville goes into the ring with a bull, like you can see the genuine concern on Steve-O's face. Like, I don't want my friend to die. And it's the same way, like they, it, they do it a lot in four. And I think three too, three has this really great moment. If we want to kind of jump into that one is there's the Christmas tree. Oh, where Johnny man. Knoxville. Um, I Santa don't know Claus. what, are they in Iceland or somewhere? But they Climb up this, he and a, a, it feels like another stunt man, uh, climb up this 60 foot tall tree. Johnny Knoxville is hung over in a Santa suit. And then they have a dude with a chainsaw, cut it down and they go down with it. But there's this great moment where they have one of those ghost, like GoPro cams that are with them. And the, uh, other stunt man asks Knoxville and goes, you ever get scared in moments like this? And there's this brief pause and you hear Knoxville just go, yeah. And then it just, the stunt happens. But that's one of the things is that like, they find these weird bits that humanize these guys in ways to where like, you see that they're, they're people and they care about each other. And ultimately this is just a way for them to like bro down and be idiots together. And like, they don't want each other to be hurt. But if they get hurt in the process and the footage is real good, well, you know, they'll laugh about it too together. Very, very much so. And, and you get to three and one of the ones you text me about, I think one of my favorite bits in three is Electric Avenue. And one of the great, like, I don't think any stunt has made anyone on that set angrier because they're genuinely pissed off that they even have to do that. They're like, and they're mad like at Johnny cuz again Johnny has this like he's the Well, he doesn't have to do he it. He doesn't either. do it. He's he's cuz they're all in they're all in um like star they're all in stripes like old-time jail cost old-time jail outfits and he's like the warden with his little like devilish like uh Rocky and Bullwinkle mustache having a good old time and just cackling. But yeah, you have spinning cattle prods, then you also have tasers, tasers, stun guns and stun guns. And they have to run. It's just a, it's almost like 
the stun gun version of that one amazing stunt, I believe in the first one, which kind of cements Tony Hawk as like one of the greatest athletes of all time on camera. Oh yeah. Is there's that one where they're skateboarding on that ramp the and they're just swinging the sandbags back and forth. And Tony Hawk goes through it fucking blindfolded <laughs> and, and doesn't get hit, <laughs> doesn't get hit once. And you're like, Oh my God, are you the like greatest athlete of all time? I'm not really sure, but this is that, but it's with these crazy ass stun guns. But dude, Bam is so fucking mad in this. The only one to me that beats his reaction in this one is in two when they lock him in the cage with the Cobra and you can see because Bam's like greatest fear is Cobras and or snakes in general. And like he starts crying because he's like, no, are you you're crying. He's like, fuck. Yeah, I'm crying. He's like, you're fucking, I'm crying. I don't want to die. There's that scene. And then the, they take it up a notch with part three. So it's the Rocky. So he's, they're building up the entire, I believe it's, I think it's Rocky. Um, yeah, where they're doing the slow-mo, like slow-mo punches. punches. Oh, when they throw him in the pit and yeah, he, he falls into the, in the pit and it's first, and first it's plastic snakes. So they have, it's a great, it's a really well-shaped prank where he's like, oh shit, I fell. Then it's, oh shit, there's snakes. Okay. They're fake snakes. And they throw a fucking like anaconda in there with him. And all this kind of shit, all these like, tree snakes, and he's like, "Guys, get me the fuck out of here!" Oh, he freaks yeah. out. He tries. He more or less claws himself out of this pit. Yeah. But to your point about how a lot of this is about watching these guys just kind of hang out and have the camaraderie between them and everything, like the relationship Bam has to the rest of them is interesting as it evolves, like over yeah. the course of the series and then the movies, because like. You can tell, like, Bam's the gremlin, but he's the gremlin who pisses them off from time to time. So they're going to get, he like, Knoxville goes out of his way to get Bam's ass in two and three at least once. Because he, you can tell, like, he's probably fucked with them a little too much. And they're like, all right, motherfucker, it's your turn now. We're going to make you cry. Well, he's the gremlin who's too big for his britches, too. You know, you think what's happening outside the show and outside the movies. At that point, he's already doing reality TV. Sure. Yeah. So it's like you have this sense of, like, he really is kind of creating his own brain. I mean, I'm not trying to put words in their mouth, but I can imagine well, him kind of coming back to back up what you're talking about, because like the, the, there is an argument to be made that selling jackass to MTV at all is an ultimate b betrayal of the big brother ethos because big brother was all about operating on the outside, yeah. not being part of the establishment, being a middle finger saying, fuck you. And like, even at the time, like a bunch of people from the skate community were like, Oh, fucking Knoxville and Tremaine and them. They're sellouts now because yeah. they went corporate, you know? So like <laughs> there is an argument that only two of the jackass guys really wanted to get famous and achieve their goals, but achieve them in alternate ways. Knoxville in the traditional, like I want to be in the pictures, you know, way yeah. that we described earlier. And he, he went that route and he had some success and he had a more failure. I'd probably argue yeah. Bam wanted to be famous too. He was probably the only one out of that Westchester crew that wanted to, but he went the alternate route to where like he became a TV star yeah. In, a reality TV it, Well, and also like the reality boom of the 2000s that was happening. Like that was the perfect time for somebody like Bam yep. to become famous. But at the same time, like the people around him, like his original CKY like crew, they didn't want to become famous. Like 
uh, apparently, I don't know if this is apocryphal legend or not, but Brandon DiCamillo didn't want to be a part of anything and had to be convinced once they went corporate, like he didn't want anything to do with it. And even then, like when he, you know, uh, participated, he would only accept like the union minimum that he could be paid, like stuff like that. Um, Rab himself like became like more or less like a cameraman the entire time. A lot of the Westchester guys refused to go to LA. That's why there is a distinct like East versus West coast. And like, even like guys like Wee Man and like, yes, Steve O and Pontius had their own show, but Steve O and Pontius almost had a show like it, it feels just so weird and wholesome. Like, and it's not really a, it is about them, but it's just like, look at the crazy shit we're doing. It's not about them wanting to be like in the movies next, you know? Like at the time when fucking Jackass started, Steve O was literally in clown college for uh the Barnum and Bailey like he went to the legit wow. he got accepted because he had done some crazy stunt for a big brother like magazine shoot where he set his own head on fire and did a backflip while it was on fire he had to go to the hospital immediately after for like second degree burns over the majority of his face but he as he said he got the shot you know but like after that, he didn't know what he was doing and he got accepted into clown college. And even in the original Big Brother article about him, it the last lines are, Steve-O just got accepted to clown college. Great job, Steve-O. And that's it. Like, that's what he thought his next career path was going to do. And then he was contacted basically being like, hey, we're doing a series and a movie. Like, do you want to be into this? And he's like, yeah, sure, man. <laughs> he, um, before I forget, um, you know the story, but our listeners don't, that he was... I think it was last year and he had an RV and he was driving it around LA and he put on Instagram, I need male pubes to make my Sasquatch outfit of pubes. And so he would drive around to certain parts of LA and be like, I'll be here from three to five. And he, he would I'm sh- glad you brought up pubes because and, I want to go into something. Next. Yes. And he would shave your balls for you and then they would take it. He talked to you. Wait, so, does this story end with you getting your balls shaved by Steve? No, it's, um, my friend. Um, oh, oh, yeah. So I thought. Oh, shit. No, you never told me. This. Oh, my God. OK. Wait, your buddy got his ball shaved by Steve-O as part of his Sasquatch outfit? Yes. So my friend texted me and said, hey, I'm waiting in line to get my ball shaved by Steve-O. I said, oh, my God, <laughs> I can't believe this is happening. And and it's funny, even though I'm not a huge um Jack I said before, like I've always liked Steve. I've always found him like really funny. Um, like I, I liked Wild for Boys. a degenerate drug addict. He's weirdly wholesome. No, he, yeah, he just I just he seems so like free spirited. Also, like he doesn't have a mean bone in his body. The no, entire time. he's and wasn't what my friend said. He said he's genuinely like the coolest. He was like the sweetest guy and was just like he's Steve. He's funny as fuck. But yeah, my friend goes in there. My friend also does not shave his pubes. Had never shaved his pubes before. So he had this giant ever? fucking ever. Um, and I believe. I believe it. Um, and, <laughs> and so Steve was like, rumor like, confirmed. Like, and like, and I guess Steve, Oh, like he brought his friend over. He's like, look at this guy. Like this is the, this is the fucking mother load. And like, was like commenting on it <laughs> and like shaves, <laughs> so, like shaves his balls above his balls and his balls. Um, I ain't seen an Afro like this since Pam Greer. I know. Um, but I imagine you, we skipped one of the best, well, ter- Terror Taxi is ridiculous. Terror Taxi is a stunt that... Okay, here's the thing. We texted back and forth with the TikTok influencer stuff of like... 
could Jackass be made today? And that's my main argument is I don't think that you could really do like you couldn't become famous the same way that these guys became famous because it's just a different avenue now. It's a different culture. It's not as lo-fi. You know, filming each other doing this crazy shit isn't as rare as it, like you could just log on to TikTok and see a million people basically doing what you know Jackass is doing every day. However, I do think there are a few stunts in the Jackass canon that you they wouldn't let you do now, and Terror mm. Taxi is one hundred percent one of them because of the racial stuff. First off, but also because of like the crazy, like there's a lot of stuff in this that I think would get people like quote unquote canceled or whatever, because it would be seen as like abuse or trauma or whatever, because they're just fucking each other up. It's but really this one, bad. what they do to Aaron in this one, where they fucking shave pubes, make a beer, put him in brown face and make him a, a, a Muslim terrorist more or less. And then Jay Kardashian, <laughs> They switch him out and he becomes a taxi driver. Who he plays beats, it so well. Oh my God. And he kidnaps him and beats the shit out of him. And they more or less like convince Aaron that he's been kidnapped by a real terrorist who's going to execute him in a parking lot. And he's so fucking terrified. It's amazing. Well, and then they also no, they, he's not supposed to be that. So he's supposed to be a terrorist, but like Jay Connors were supposed to be just a cab driver who's going to kill him. That's and what I mean. Yeah. But, 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 they, but he throws him in the trunk. He throws shit. him in the trunk. And then you also, what's great is they have the whole, the whole camera crew come over and they're like, wait, no, no, we're still Bam's like, we're filming a show. And they had the gunshots. Oh, yeah. like, he, he thinks he's killed all his it's friends. It's a real lo-fi production they put on, but it, it really sells. And like when Aaron, they, they, they open the trunk and the, the trunk's closed and you just kind of hear it go. He just and peers he just, out and, like, uh, and he's so, and then, He's one of those moments. He's he's and then and it's like the cherry on top, the pubes on top. He goes, oh, by the way, your beard is our pubes. Like that's like <laughs> like that's just like the this the the beautiful just like piece de resistance of that prank. Where it's like, boom. He almost seems more upset about that than he is about the whole kidnapping thing. He, I, I you know who knows what's going on in your head at that point, but it's that kind of like. And you put pubes on and my face. And you did this? Yeah, it's just that whole, like, you add insult to injury. The one, another scene like that, I think it's in three, um, is is midget bar fight. And... Um, you don't think that would fly today? I don't think so, no. I Well, the fact that, so last week, they... I don't know. That's one just because, like, Wee Man is actively participating in it, that it's kind of like... I, I I just I think it's interesting and not that, I mean you honestly could do a whole episode and just like what would fly today and we and we're not trying to do that, um, but for instance last week they announced they're doing a new Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, um, and Peter English came out and said this is offensive to me you're another about a girl and so okay. so it's like we are I'm just saying like there's there are now which is good I mean people are speaking up for um for their communities, but. I haven't laughed so hard in a you long. You certainly couldn't publish an article called "How to Kill Yourself" these no, days. No, um, I lost my fucking mind watching this scene, part and three. It's so goddamn funny because you have like it. It just keeps amping. So you're like, and, and it's great because Wee Man's actually like a really good actor. Like he comes in, he's with his girlfriend, who's supposed to be girlfriend. Then her, her, that's my fucking wife. That's my girlfriend. His husband, her husband or boyfriend comes in. They get in a fight. Then. <laughs> Little people, cops come in, then ambulance, then an amb- then uh, ambulance, and they have to put them on a stretcher, and it just keeps 
ramping. It's almost like a Charlie Chaplin skit. Yeah. Is because it just becomes like silent comedy while you watch the reactions of this very, very hardened looking uh, redneck bar watch as these uh, little people engage in their trauma and then are carted off in very cartoonish style <laughs> by the ambulance. It is really, really funny. Now, real quick, before we get into a full segment about Jackass 4, did I ever tell you about the time that Jackass helped me decode a frat prank? No. So, I pledged a fraternity my uh, freshman year in college, was in a fraternity my entire you know four years of uh, going to school, and during Hell Week... We didn't know that this was part of like the structured rituals. Like they kind of do the same things to people uh, every class that comes in, like every pledge class. Hell Week is very structured, where like you do this on Monday, you do this on Tuesday, right. you do this on Wednesday, yada yada yada. And the whole time you're not sleeping, you're not allowed to sleep for that whole week. Um, but there's one where they more or less fake kidnap you. Yeah. Like do the whole thing, put a bag over your head, put you in the back of a car, like drive you around, uh, and then drop you off and then ask you a bunch of questions and like, where's the thing you're, and you go on a scavenger hunt to try and prove yourself with your brothers. They kind of drop you off in the middle of nowhere. You go on a scavenger hunt to find the different letters of your fraternity, but they're scattered around like campus and you're reading these fucking riddles and stuff. But the entire time you're disoriented because like they've kidnapped you and dropped you off in the middle of nowhere. Well, when you're done collecting them, you're all supposed to meet back at this one, uh, meetup point to where they, they pick you up and they take you back. And it's like, then you sit there and it's like, what lesson have you learned, Johnny? Like real dumb frat boy bullshit. But like, the whole point of this uh, prank, or, or uh, let's say ritual, as they would call it, is that the one letter doesn't exist. That They send you on a scavenger hunt for something that doesn't exist. And then you get back, and they fucking berate you and go whole hog on you, and all the shit, waterboard, all that, like, drinking, all this shit. Yeah. But, like... Um, and they're screaming, like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And I remember them... They had us all sitting in this attic in this one frat house and they're yelling at us and they're like, how could you not figure it out? Like, and they'll call on somebody, you, Mark, how do, how did you not figure it out? You, what, what do you think it means to do this? And they came to me and they were like, what do you think? Like, you haven't said anything the whole time. And I was like, I don't think it exists. Like, like flat out told them. I was like, I think this is all bullshit because I've seen jackass. <laughs> I literally said it out loud because at this point you're like four or five days in without sleep. So like I didn't give a shit. I yeah. was like, I just want to go to bed. I don't fucking care. At this point, if you throw me out, good riddance. I, you know, I've done this for eight fucking weeks and I hate you people at this point. All I want is a beer and my bed. And I finally was just like, I don't think it exists because I've seen jackass and I know a fake ass prank when I see one and what you guys did, you throw us in. Now we're all supposed to yell at each other. And the entire time we're supposed to decode something about brotherhood or whatever. When really that fucking letter doesn't fucking exist. And it's just an excuse to yell at us. And like the whole room went like quiet for a minute. And it was like that total, like, Oh fuck, he figured it out. And they're like, no, you're totally fucking. And then just <laughs> like went right back into like ripping on me. And I'm just like, all right, man, whatever. Like, do you have a cigarette? Leave me alone. Anyway, you want to get into Jackass Forever? I do. All right. 
breakdown of Jackass Forever. Martin, since you are the, let's say, Jackass agnostic. You're not a hater. You like what's there. You know, but you're not also a devotee like me. How did you feel about Jackass Forever? 10 out of fucking 10, man. I... I took a friend who who's not a fan of Jackass. He's like, Ugh. I was like, look, man, I got to watch this for the podcast. Just These go. People do exist. And I was, you know, about a minute into the movie, I look over and he's losing his mind, like just fucking dying. And I saw the full audience and I feel like not to wax poetic, but this is with an audience. That's aud- what the, the theatrical experience you want back. It was just like, so everyone was like on the same page. Like it was so joyful and like the right moments of mm, don't do like this, the eating of stuff or like for me, the scene, I hate spiders. So, oh yeah. Getting, getting when, uh, Aaron gets bit on the tit with uh, the giant fanged spider. I didn't watch. I had to like close my eyes, like just like shit like that. Um, it's, it, it, this is they really took it up a notch, but it also has a lot of heart to it. I think again of like like you were saying about three being this kind of sad like well we're back. This is like the last hurrah. This feels like people are in a better place too with themselves and with the group. Three is the last true jackass movie. Like to me, like I love this movie and it's a great. It's to me the only legacy sequel that'll ever matter now. <laughs> but like. It's great, but it's doing something totally different than even Jackass 3D is doing because this is a passing of the torch movie that yes. they're doing. It, very much in the same way that Paramount's last big hit that we covered uh, from last month, Scream 5 did, to where it was like, here's the old cast members, but here's the whole new batch of folks that uh, we're going to hand this series off to, more or less. And like the, even that just got a sequel announced, I believe, this yep. last week. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Jackass forever is doing that. Cause there's new cast members. Not everybody's back because bam is not involved with Jackass forever due to some legal stuff that's going on. Like apparently from what I've pieced together, cause it's kind of hard cause nobody, because of the, the, there's some restraining order stuff. Cause I know Jeff Tremaine actually put a three year restraining order against bam. I did not know that. Uh, Paramount more or less fired him. And like he wasn't allowed to participate, uh, but at the same time, Bam is suing Paramount and Tremaine and Knoxville and all these guys because for loss of work and wrongful termination. So like in that Hollywood profile, uh, that Hollywood uh, reporter profile that we uh, talked about earlier, like they even have a disclaimer that's like, hey. Just so you know, because of this legal stuff, we can't talk about Bam. So this is an oral history that pretty much leaves out the entire East coast faction because we, you know, he's brought this lawsuit against us. And until that's untangled, like we're not, Bam's we're not no stepping on it. part of the history here. That's sad, which is my main complaint. Cause I do just cause of the hometown thing do have a soft spot for Bam do kind of see where he's coming from. But also I miss Phil and April in this, like to me again, they're the beating heart of this franchise in a weird inadvertent way. Um, and not having them there is a, you know, you feel that a little bit cause they're in every other movie and they're amazingly warm and funny and their reactions are great to all this stuff. Um, I think they do try to replace them somewhat with Jasper Dolphin's dad, dark shark, dark shark. I love him so much. Ex con former gang banger, according to Jasper dark shark who gets his own stunt where he uh, does the, 
uh, spider stunt that you're talking about where he and Aaron put in an interlocked, like almost looks like, like space helmet, but there's a tube between them and this giant venomous looking like tarantula with fangs that'll bite you. Like giant fangs. Oh, huge fangs. <laughs> like, like this thing looks like the spider from arachnophobia. <laughs> like it's it, like Shelob from fucking return of the King. Yeah, like, it's terrifying. It's horrifying. <laughs> and Jasper's dad freaks out so much that he starts trying to choke out fucking Knoxville and Tremaine at the same time, which is amazing. It's like that, that one. And then of course the, you know, the end when he loses, um, and the, the person who loses is supposed to be bitten by the spider, but they're like, all right, but you did a great job. Dark sharks. Aaron's like, I fucking won. What the hell? And, and then they're like, it's so great. Cause you also see that thing of like, um, Aaron's like, Nope. Nope, nope. They're like, come on. He's like, all right. And then you see it. And you see Johnny be like, oh my God, thank thank God for this guy. The, the, the Silence of the Lamb skit. Oh my God. Is like the one that I think is the most ingenious where they, it's a hard skit to, because there's a switcheroo aspect to it. And then there's a whole like terror aspect to it because I, I believe like, before we started recording, you started to define there's a couple different types of skits that we actually didn't even get into in, in the main discussion of the Jackass series. But like you can almost break these down into certain categories. One is just pure stunts, pranks yep. that are uh, BMX, uh, skateboarding, rocket like, shooting, rocket shooting, direct extensions of the old skate videos and big brother videos and stuff of like, Oh my God. It's evil can evil vibe yeah, too. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the next one involves uh poop, pee, vomit, semen, uh, Dr- usually being eating nasty shit, eating gross stuff that usually involves one of the four or all four Pontius drinks jizz in this movie and two, um, one, one or two. Yeah. When he drinks, uh, he it's drinks the horse semen where they jerk off the horse. Yeah. Yeah. He drinks, and then the whole he drinks thing. it. Well, cause he drinks it to get an out of a future prank. They tell him they're yep. like, if you do this, you can't like Dave England eats a horse pocket, uh, in two, in, in two as well. But in this one, Pontius drinks, uh, Borges, um, a which, lot of it. it <laughs> 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 that, that, <laughs> That's just evidence. That's the stuff that I actually struggle with the most. Where you uh, struggle with all the the anxiety, the candid uh, camera, candid camera, because that's the third category is candid camera type stuff. And then there's four. I think four is is the switcheroo prank where it's they don't know what they're getting into. They're the more elaborate staged stuff. Yeah, where there's a big setup, and that's very much and what technology. This is, yeah, um, because this is about. They bring in a rattlesnake wrangler and they say like, hey, you're going to have to catch the snake. We're like, Johnny's going to catch the snake. And you're here to watch. Yeah. And you're here to watch. But what they end up doing is setting up the same room and then locking them in two at a time and then turning out all the lights and fucking with them. This was another thing that they actually did to us in the fraternity to where like they would take you, lock you in dark, dark yeah. rooms, do fucked up shit. That's like classic that. fraternity Pretend shit. like you're walking on glass, all that stuff. Yeah, totally. Uh, but like this is that they do the Silence of the Lambs version where like they're all wearing like night vision goggles and, and chasing them around. Like and James Pontius Gum. is in and the Pontius corner. is doing the James gum like dance from 
He's tucked it. Yeah. He's doing, totally they, tucked but, but they have the send-up song, Lotion on the Skin, Yeah, that the Greenskeepers played. And yeah. It's, like, I was just, it's so like... Well, because that's another aspect we haven't even gotten into yet is how like some of these, especially the early skate videos, but also the Jackass stuff, they were great resources for music. Like you watch yeah. them because like you heard bands like... Alkaline Trio, CKY, him. Like him, yeah, his Infernal Majesty, which had like two really good songs, but their one song fucking ripped. Oh yeah, uh, and then uh, you would also just have these things like act more or less as like mixtapes, you know, where you you went out and you you sought out these bands, you you got the tapes, you got the records, and you knew like that was part of your your kind of sound collage as a person now, but like. In this, they bring back all that stuff, too. Um, unfortunately, again, there's no CKY because of the BAM disconnect. But, man, that that Silence of the Lambs skit is fucking hilarious, They dude. really lose their minds. And Aaron and Dave, like, the way they react to it, of being, like, they're at the point of being, like, seasoned vets. Because the new guys in this are more like, oh, fuck, we knew it was coming, and now they're going to fuck with us. But the old guys, like... Dave literally refuses at the end to leave the set. He goes, is it over? No, no, it's not. You know what? I'm going to make a new life here. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> well, there's, there's another, um, I'm, I'm not sure if we want to call it like a fifth category or whatever, but like the straight up, like purposeful, like music video type or stuff, the pain stuff. Or, oh, the or torture. Just straight up like, this is what's going to happen to you. Are you ready? And so I think especially... The Those are almost like the interstitial, like inserted, like real brief ones where like Steve-O will dive through like a whole table of shit or like... Up into the um, the uh, the ceiling fan. The ceiling fan. But the, the cup test is yeah. a, it is a elaborate... Fucking with four, scorpions. Four part... Well, the cup is like a four part thing in this where it's like... It starts out and Aaron is going to get punched by the, by a heavyweight UFC fighter. Right, it's another the, switcheroo. Uh, yeah, who's supposed to be a lightweight? He's like, that's not a fucking lightweight. Then you go to after that the the fastest softball pitcher. And then you go to one of the hardest hitters in hockey, and the fourth one is uh, the pogo stick. Oh. And it just keeps and it, it just keeps his balls. Yeah, he literally ruptures his ball. Um, oh. And he's got this metal. He has a metal cup, and the whole thing is we're testing out the cup. And that scene just like, so that seems like it's a different thing of just like, hey, here's what we're going to do to you. Aaron deserves a fucking medal for Jackass Forever because he takes it the worst. Oh, of, the, of the older ones, the, too. Yeah. The bear skit. Oh, is, no way. That's classic. Like, you see him shaking and being like, I'm so fucking terrified this bear might hurt me. And then at the end, when the bear trainer rushes in and goes, it literally goes, I gotta get in there now. I was like, oh my god, that bear might actually hurt him. Wait, because they put salmon around its dick and balls. Yeah. And he's just kind of like, oh. And honey. Oh. And then... He has a fucking shock collar on at the same time. So they decide to keep shocking him. And, and Johnny's just like. He like, takes it to another level of, of gleeful like sadism in this one. Well, and then it's interesting you said that because you have, again, probably the person who does the least crazy shit in this is, is Pontius. Like he makes a joke about it earlier where they, he, he makes a joke about this being a legacy film where he says, Zach, he's like, we can sing a song. We all paid our dues. Now you got to do it. You know? And it's like, 
Pontius doesn't really do anything too hardcore in this. Well, that's where the whole frat comparison comes with me, too. Is I that paid this, my dues. This is the older brothers who are like, guess what? We did this before you. You even saw it on camera, but now we get to fuck you up. And I get to it. And you decided to come here. You wanted this. Yeah. I think, though, again, the, the bull scene in this, again, is pretty fucking insane. It's what buys... Knoxville and out on like we can sit there and kind of make fun of him and even poke at him and be like oh you fuck with these guys the most but when it takes when it comes time for him to take the abuse like he fucking takes it he I mean and him again it's at his age like and like Steve gets fucked up in this too like um the the uh the, the marching the band dick. well the the bees on the dick with the marching oh, band oh yeah thing. where it fucks in he has to go in the the uh, ambulance after because it shoots him off the fucking treadmill yeah because they all get shot off into each other and they're hitting this like fucking corrugated iron metal wall and like uh uh Johnny splits his his uh his skin open on his head he's just bleeding profusely from his from his scalp yeah and Stebo is out I think he goes unconscious. Because they're like, hey, Steve-O, hey, buddy, hey. And then, like, he's got a neck brace on. And the next time you see him, he's got a neck brace on, and he's got a broken arm. Oh, yeah. So it's like, fuck, man. So even the old school guys, they 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 do it. Yeah. I do miss Ryan Dunn in this one, though. The, the movie's dedicated to him. And it, it it is my only complaint with it is the, the giant kind of void that's there where uh, Bam and Ryan used to be, but like Ryan in particular, because like you want to talk about another weird legendary act in my hometown. Like I was there still living there right before I moved uh, to Austin. Um, when Ryan Dunn died in that drunk driving accident, he came home from Barnaby's the bar where we all used to hang out at. Like I, I've been to that bar a million times. I had my own uh, drunk driving run in with that one. It was a single car, like ran off the road type thing and didn't get caught. But like, it was just, you know, that was a place where people hung out and just got fucking blackout drunk in Westchester. And he did it in a Ferrari and, you know, died in a fiery crash. But like, he is missed in this because he always did kind of feel like the great unifier between like the East coast and West coast guys of like, he would take all the abuse. He was the nicest dude ever. He, he kind of like hung out with Knoxville, hung out with bam. Like they were best friends. And like, it's, he was just that weird glue that like tied everything together. Yeah. There's really a, with him being on with bam being on with April and Phil being gone. Um, I like, I like the new additions. I think they they're, they're, pretty seamlessly worked out. I think Zach is really sweet. I like his energy a lot. Like well, he, he seems like a real fan and Jasper being included is a nice extension yes. of the state, like the skate culture thing, because you know, odd future is more kind of like the West coast equivalent to what bam was doing just, you know, 15, 20 years later is because odd future was just a bunch of black kids from Ladera Heights and stuff who went and, uh, you know, we're skating and the aqueducts and stuff and started making their own rap music. And uh, they did their own like pranks and things and, you know, toured like I saw Odd Future a bunch of times with Tyler, the creator, who's in this. Oh, it's so movie, funny. And Jasper Dolphin and all them like I saw them live in like the basement of the first Unitarian Church in Philadelphia before I went to, to Austin. Hell, I went and saw 
alkaline trio at Bam's club, the note in the middle of Westchester. Like this was just, again, part of my life in weird, like tangential ways. But Jasper Dolphin being included feels like a direct callback to the origins uh, of like Big Brother magazine and everything because like Odd Future is the most DIY thing that's emerged from uh, skate culture since Jackass maybe and even had its own kind of Jackass style prank show with Loiter Squad, which I think Tremaine and Dick House produced for Adult Swim as well. Well, and then Rachel Wolfson, who's new. Um, I was reading about her. She's a stand-up comic. Stand-up comic, and has has. And is, she's a she's a cannabis influencer too. Um, is like one of her main like really yeah. Um, she influenced me in a few ways, very much. Um, but she, I guess Johnny saw her and was just like messaged her, DM'd her. It's like, hey, we think you're funny. I mean, she's gorgeous too, and I think it was just like. But she honestly like she. She has her bona fides in this movie. I mean, like, she fucking licks. She's the one who's almost too good at jackass. No, she does so stone-faced. She gets fucking, they call it like, scorpion Botox, and so they, like, she gets stung, like, four times on her face by a scorpion, and she's like, oh, that hurts like a bitch. And then she licks a fucking uh, stun gun, like, four times, and doesn't even peep. The mime, yeah, the mime thing is insane. You want to talk about a, a stunt where I thought somebody was going to get seriously hurt when Steve-O oh, does no. the skateboard guillotine on his shins and drops it, and he ends up losing by going, fuck! <laughs> like, but, like, they raised it up, and I was like, dude, that's going to break your fucking legs, man. Yeah, I mean, at that height, um, yeah, that scene. But, no, I thought they did a really good job in, of kind of weaving in the new generation. That was also cool, like, to think back to the other films is – that they really attract like celebrities and other people who are like, man, we just want to be around these guys. I mean, like it's, it's interesting to see people kind of pop in. Well, like Eric Andre showing up in it, who again, like you want to talk about a guy whose entire style is a riff on jackass, like right down. Like he's from obviously that old comedy scene and that anti-comedy scene, but like like Tim and Eric physical jackass. Yeah, exactly. Like all the physical comedy shit. And then, uh, bad trip, the movie that he made that was supposed to play at South by and Paramount put out as well. And I believe Tremaine produced, but like that movie is just bad grandpa, which we haven't even really talked about yet. It's the narrative version of Jackass. You know, it's just the, here's this weird romantic comedy with Eric Andre and Tiffany Haddish and Lil Rel and stuff. But like it has these candid camera style pranks and like Eric Andre getting his, his clothes sucked off by like a, a <laughs> vacuum cleaner and like them fighting in the middle of a redneck bar or doing white face and like DJing at like a, a prestigious like country club and stuff like that's they're just doing jackass it's just their version of it you know and seeing him in jackass forever being like oh man i'm in fucking jackass this is crazy and then getting pranked by those guys is so amazing and i i love it too and i love that there is it is it is like also just this very like just joyful to see it in the film but also like just the film itself is quite joyful where it doesn't two. have the sadness that three does. No, like there isn't that last go around. Like looking at three, this is going to sound like a very cliched uh, film thing, but like 
three almost feels like the last photo and like the photo album that's like encased in amber of like the last time all those guys were together and happy again. Yeah. And four is like we catch up with them 10 years later and like things are fucked up and people are dead and some people are sober, but like at least they get to pass this torch, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But like, man. I can't recommend Jackass Forever enough. Like, I know most people are going to watch it once the 45-day window is up. And, like, I'm glad that it did really well because its box office success was, like, a big surprise to me. And even our buddy Shapiro, like, everybody was kind of guessing that it was going to underperform. Because, frankly, it seems weird to me that Paramount Plus didn't put it on their streaming service because this feels like something tailor-made and it would even kind of fit in the continuum of Jackass stuff to where like, here's a thing that started as underground videos that became a show that then became a movie out of necessity and then those guys got more shows and then more movies and then tried to wrap it all up. But like jackass moving into the streaming world like this feels like the perfect vehicle that would take jackass into streaming but they're so committed to actually putting their movies in theaters and like maintaining that uh experience that i'm glad it exists but i didn't expect it to do like almost 24 million in its first weekend i was guessing like 10 and then like it would be a huge hit on streaming you know yeah, I just I do for people who feel safe. I do recommend seeing it in the theater. I, I think that it's, yeah, you had a totally. I saw it at a press screening. You had a totally different experience. You watch it with an actual audience. We all lost our minds. Like the whole, we were all on the same page, and it felt so good to just be like. Which kind of speaks to the types of movies that, and again, this is why I don't work at Paramount. Um, because they've been right now two months in a row because they have Scream. Scream's a great horror movie that plays well with an audience and gives you that same kind of theatrical experience that you're looking for from, you know, that COVID kind of took away. Jackass is the same thing. Like, you want to go... You don't want to watch Jackass alone. It's fun. You're going to laugh, and it's going to be cool, but, like, it's way better as this cathartic experience with a bunch of people around you, but... especially a bunch of random strangers because it delivers both the laughter and the cringiness and kind of tension of a horror movie, (laughs) frankly, to where you're just like, they might die. Oh my God. (laughs) But Martin, I'm glad we did this. Me too. I'm glad you went down the, the jackass rabbit hole with me. I enjoyed it. I really, really did. And you were a good sport the entire time because I didn't even know going in. It took me, you know, you basically being like, yeah, I haven't seen two or three of me being like, I don't think he likes this as much as I do. Well, it's funny because, again, never was a huge fan growing up, but I'm, you know I'm an immature motherfucker, so it is like it's true. totally lined up the stuff I enjoy, and I enjoyed watching every single one, so it was not a chore at all. Yeah. Martin, terrific as always. Indeed, sir. Let's go show each other our penises. If you're gonna be dumb, you gotta be tough When you get knocked down, you gotta get back up I ain't the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I know enough to know If you're gonna be dumb, you gotta be tough I lit my brain with rot gut whiskey Till my pain was chicken fried 
And I had dudes with badges frisk me and Teach me how to swallow pride I took advice no fool would take I got some habits I can't shake I ain't the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I know enough to know. If you're gonna be dumb, you gotta be tough. If you're gonna be dumb, you gotta be tough. When you get knocked down, you gotta get back up. That's the way it is in life and love. If you're gonna be dumb, you gotta be tough.